Our desire to be accepted by a certain group can cause us to be afraid to demonstrate our faith fully in our lives. In today's sermon, Going from Fear to Faith, we will analyze this concept in the book of John. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ, and the peer group we identify with can be a hindrance to our faith. For some, they believe in Jesus, but for fear of exclusion from groups, they find themselves hiding their faith. In the Gospel of John, this concept is covered in various situations. Today's sermons looks at going from fear to faith through the situations addressed in John. People, for the most part, have a natural desire to fit into groups, into a certain culture, society, a community, because they want to be around like-minded people who share the same beliefs and ideas as them. And while America, we have come to an interesting point in the world history to where we have a country that uh, allows such a variances of different ideologies and cultures and customs, it still proves itself to be true that we gravitate to those whom we think like. Birds of a feather flock together. And yet, as each person finds their identity in a certain culture, community, society, ideology, we allow the gatekeepers of those said cultures, societies, ideologies to determine the value system. What's right? What's wrong? Who's in? Who's out? The rules that we adhere to that form these communities. And those who oppose different values as them, they generally shame. They ostracize. They ridicule. Because what they want to do is bolster their authority within that community. And they don't want to lose any of the prestige that they have gained from being a key ruler or person in said community. So if you have an opposing view, it's attacked. If you come with a different teaching, it is put down. It's ridiculed. If you look different than them, then you're shamed. And a good sense of this is demonstrated in the news that we receive. It used to be at one time in history, news was just the facts. And you determined for yourself how you interpreted those facts. But now we have come to a time in our society to where news is given and you're told how to interpret the information that's presented to you. So if you like one ideology, you watch this channel. Another, you watch that channel. And while they're giving you the same incident, same story, they both have slightly bends. And you can tell a lot about a person by what news channel they prescribe to. We say the left, we say the right. And then that tells you a little bit about how they view the world. But the news is helping to define their framework for seeing the world. It's not just news, political parties, 
Who are you friends with on social networks? What organizations or clubs do you attend, join, donate your monies to? You see, it tells a lot about the individual. You see, the group not only defines us, but it also sets limits on our behaviors. It tells us how not to act in addition to how to act. Who to accept in addition to who not to accept. And even in a country like America, where we have all of these different groups, we tend to gravitate to whom we identify with. So I have a question for you. What peer group do you identify, associate with? Is it a church? Is it the Bible? Is it something else? Because that's going to determine how you view the world and what you choose to accept as defining ideologies for your life. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, there was a group of people identified as Jews who had a special relationship with God. And they understood this. And there was the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, scribes. Rulers of Jews who determined what that relationship was supposed to look like and who was actually those who were living according to the rules that they had put forth for the community. Those rules were loosely based upon Old Testament scripture, but it had gotten so much so that they allowed tradition to override scripture. And if a person didn't align with their traditional view, then they were not accepted as part of God's people. You see, they was trying to be God's people so much that they saw their way over God's. And when Jesus Christ came and didn't align with how they viewed God's scripture, they didn't see the Christ walking amongst their midst because they were the determining factor of who and who was not living according to the standard of God. And because they had set the standard, anybody who opposed what they believed was ostracized, was ridiculed, was shamed, was attacked. This is evident in the life that Jesus Christ lived. For speaking truth and proclaiming to be the son of God and telling people how you could get back to God, the Jews sent him to the cross. They killed the Christ, the one who came to die for sin of the world. But in the midst of all of this, Jesus did not fear. Jesus proclaimed God's message boldly, and he did not allow the opposition to cause him to quiver, to cause him to deny the truth. Yet some who believed in his message, they did. Why? Because they feared man more than they feared God. You see, their belief in Jesus did not cause them to lead to faith because they feared man more than they feared God. There's a few passages in John that highlights this concept of the fear of man causing people not to live out their belief in Jesus. And we'll look at a few of those and hopefully we'll learn something from it But my true desire is 
that we don't see ourselves on the fearing side. But if we do, we find a methodology to where we can go from fear to faith. First passage that we want to look at is John 7. And we're going to start at the 10th verse. And John 7, as you're turning there, this is in context of Jesus going to a festival that his brothers say, come down to this festival and show yourself because anybody who proclaims to be a teacher, a leader amongst God's people, they should do this out in public. But they said this because they didn't believe him. They said this because it sounds like they were trying to set Jesus up for the downfall. His very own flesh and blood at this time that did not have faith. So they want him to go and to face this opposition and to to suffer whatever consequences may come. So as we start off at the 10th verse of chapter 7, it says, However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man amongst the crowds? There was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No. He deceives the people, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. You see, there was a a lot of people with a lot of different understandings, opinions about Jesus Christ. But what had happened was for fear of the Jews, they refused to speak about Jesus He's a good man. No, he's a deceiver. There goes the Jews. Don't let them hear you. And while that was evidenced in this text, we also witness it today in life. What are the two topics that you're not supposed to talk about? Politics and religion. You see, people don't want you to speak about religion because when you start talking about religion, you start talking about what fundamentally makes us us. You start talking about the core of humanity and what's essential, which is a relationship with God and who you define that God to be. And that's going to determine by what standard you live your life. So if you say that Jesus is the Christ, it's going to, by necessity, acknowledge that you deny Buddha. You deny Muhammad. You deny all those other gods. And if you say that Jesus is the Christ, you also deny all variant forms of Christianity that are not found in the Bible. And people do not want to have that conversation. So it's easier to let's not talk about religion. And in that context, we will never get to truth because we're scared of those who are over us. And what they might do if they knew the opinion that we had about the Christ that we serve. So it's easier. Don't say nothing. Let's talk about something else. Sports sedates the masses. It's a big topic in this country. It's everywhere. But very few people are willing to engage in true conversations about the Bible, about Christ. Because it makes life easier. Turn with me to John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we come across this passage to where Jesus had healed a blind man who was born blind. And everybody 
acknowledged that he was born blind and now he could see, but it's the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees are saying, this cannot be right. We don't believe you were born blind. Where are your parents at? And his parents come and they testify to the fact that this is their son. But let's hear their response. John 9, verse number 18. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. The Jews, Pharisees had made themselves gatekeepers between the relationship between man and God. And so at this place to where you're supposed to go worship God and to really find a true relationship with God, they say, no, if you do not prescribe to our understanding, we will not allow you access into the synagogue. They can keep you out the synagogue, but they can't keep you out of heaven. And so the boy's parents, they kind of, Lie, I believe, because they say he is our son and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, you would think that if they didn't know anything, how he could see now would suffice. But they go a step further or who opened his eyes. They had to know somebody did something to open his eyes. Because if it was just a question of how, it might have been that God just miraculously opened his eyes without the agent of anybody else. But everybody else knows that somebody did something to this man. And I believe his parents know who did because it was no secret that there was a man called Jesus who was healing people, who was casting out demons, who was multiplying food, who was doing all these great acts by the power of God. And he had encountered their son. And now he can see. But they feared the Jews, so they did not acknowledge that God had a hand in doing this great deed for their son, who they knew was born blind. So they left him out on a limb to fend for himself. Now, as a parent, think about that. Something truly great has happened to your child, and you know that is of somebody from God. But those who put themselves as the authority of where God is worshipped, put him on the stake, are ready to persecute him because something good has happened and because they don't accept the methodology and the day in which it happened, they want to do something to discredit him. And you leave him out there by himself. How does that make you feel? Look at another angle. Somebody who you acknowledge that God has done something for, has changed their life, has brought them to wholeness, has rescued them from a situation, and you know it had to be God, and you don't vouch for that person. 
Because you don't want to catch the heat that they might catch because they say that only God can do what he did for me. Only God can give me, put me in this position in life because nobody else gave me a fair shot. Everybody else looked down on me. Everybody else ostracized me. Everybody else looked at me like I was unworthy. But God saw me and he said, I'm going to do something. And since he did, I want to testify to that. And nobody's willing to stand with him. It's a position that this man was in. His very parents gave him up because they didn't want to lose some prestige that they felt they had with man by being excluded from the worship of the God that healed him of his blindness. Fear of man. John 12. You see, God is amazing. Jesus is amazing. And as they work together, they do things that only God could do through Jesus Christ to show that Jesus was sent from God. And if you uh, understand, John, the flow of the narrative, we know that when I say John 12, what has just happened is that God, through Jesus, raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you know the details of the story, you know that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited until he died. And when he gets there, it's four days that he's been in the grave. And as Jesus is about to open that grave, said, Mary says, hold on. He stinketh. (laughs) That man is rotten. Don't do that because he's past saving. But Jesus says, you believe in the resurrection. I do. I am the resurrection. Roll back that stone. Lazarus, awake. And Lazarus awakes and he sends people in there to help him take off those those wrappings that they buried him in. And Lazarus comes out alive as everybody else that's witnessing what Jesus has done. And everybody testifies to the fact that this man, Jesus Christ, has risen a dead man. And it was so known that the very people who wanted to kill the Christ said, I need to kill this man that was just dead. They wanted Lazarus double dead. Now think about that. Everybody knew Lazarus was dead. They're trying to discredit Christ, want to kill Lazarus again. Does that make sense? Kill somebody that the Lord just raised up. He can raise them up again. (laughs) Whatever man can do, God can undo. And it's in this context we get this passage that reads at verse number 42 and 43, which will reiterate that was read for the scripture. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him because of the Pharisees that would not confess their faith for fear that they will put, be put out of the synagogue for they love praise for man more than praise from God. My goodness. How many people do we know that's raising people from the dead? Yet they wanted the praise of those who did not have power over life when they witnessed the one who did and denied him. People are like that today. You don't read stories where somebody who actually lived, I'm not talking about mythology. I'm not talking about 
a good read. I'm talking about historical fact of somebody who is verified to come into this earth to raise people from the dead, to multiply food, to raise himself up from the dead and do many miraculous acts all throughout history. You don't read about that except for in the Bible. And people are aware of this holy writ. And they say that they believe in this scripture, but they will rather get praise from fellow man. Just think about that. None of us in here can do what God did through Jesus without God working in us. Yet for a lot of people in this world, they would rather have you praise them. They would rather have their peers praise them than accept the fact that the Bible is real and put their belief and actions behind that belief in the Christ found in Scripture. If you're a thinking person, you'll say, why? It doesn't make sense. Because we all are aware of the fact that we're going to die. And if, if, if you want to have life after this death, it was just evidence that there was somebody who really could bring life after death. But we would rather be with the people who's trying to cause harm and to bring a death about that they really have no control over. Now, let's go to the next passage, which we'll find in John 19. And after this one, we have one more passage. But in John 19, we find two men. In other passages of scripture, it's told that Joseph of Arimathea was actually a prestigious man. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, part of the same group that tried to suppress the knowledge of Jesus. And what happens in John 19 is Jesus has been crucified and he has been killed from these men he opposed. Because they didn't want to accept the truth of the matter that he was the son of the living God. And as he's killed, as we get to John 19 and the 38th verse, this is what it reads. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. You see that secretly they believed in Christ, but they didn't do something good to honor Christ until after Jesus was dead. It's almost like it's too late. You should have said something to your peers that maybe you could have got credit for in acknowledging that Jesus was the Christ. And we might want to reconsider trying to put a charge of blasphemy on the one who's not blaspheming because he really did come from God. His words really are true. He's being validated by the fact that he's doing these miraculous acts that we have never done. He's healed the lame. He's brought sight to the blind. He's raising the dead from the grave. None of us have ever done it. We should stop before we try to persecute this man. But no, they followed him secretly and they allowed their peers to go through with this faulty, this faulty trial and crucify Christ. And here it is after the fact that he has died that they come and they want to do some good 
for the Lord Jesus Christ because they were disciples in secret. Which is where we find a lot of people, disciples in secret, who sometimes wait until it's almost too late to do something that acknowledge that they honor Jesus because they don't want to lose prestige amongst their peers. And last but not least, those who walked with Jesus, and it should be no surprise to us because we know the, the stories of the Gospels and how that each Gospel tells that these disciples of Jesus, specifically the 12 that walked with him, that he chose specifically to be his agents, apostles who were going to proclaim the story of Jesus and how God had sent them and how he had walked on this earth and how he was offering salvation. They're scared when he gets killed. They don't understand that the scriptures are pointing to him and that he must die and be rose in the third day because he was going to prove that he was the Messiah and this was going to be the culmination of all the acts that he was going to do because that's what he was sent to do to bring salvation and remove this stain of sin from man. They didn't understand that. So here we are, three days after he's been crucified. They are huddled up in a room, secluded, confined behind locked doors, Why? Well, let's read chapter 20, verse number 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You see, it didn't matter that Peter had seen the empty tomb, that Mary had sent the message that Jesus is risen and he's not there. No. What mattered to them was that the Jews were out and they were scared. So we do not want to face the same harm that Jesus did. I'm a person. They're people. I probably can relate to them if I'm looking at it from a human's point of view. Man, y'all just killed Jesus. I don't want to die. I don't want that heat. So let's lock up in this room until it subsides and passes us by. But what happens? Jesus, he don't, nah. Doors locked, he just appears. Peace be with you. And he shows them. You don't got to fear, man. Look, they pierced me. They hung me on that cross. They stuck me in the side. Water and blood came out. I died. You saw it. Here I am now. That death that you're fearing at their hands, I have control over Why? Because I truly am the Christ and I've come from God to show you the way that you can live eternally. You don't have to fear man. What I really want you to do is obey God. Fear God and man's rule won't be as severe to you. Now let's look look at those passages because I think in these passages to where we saw that man feared man and didn't put the faith that God wanted them to have in them and believe in him and demonstrated through their actions, we also see the remedy in each of those situations that'll help us, that would have helped those in scripture get to the point to where their belief in Jesus, their faith in God would have been demonstrated and they would not have feared man in those situations. Turn back with me. John. Chapter 7, as Jesus 
is at this feast. And people whispering. Some say he's a great man. Some say he's a deceiver. But when the Jews come around, they shut their mouth. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 7, verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. I'm going to reiterate what I think it is that would help us to overcome this fear of man. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. It's in the actions of obedience that we testify that God really sent Jesus. It's not in the conversing. It's not in the back and forth, the bickering, the doubt, the not acknowledging, the fearing of those in authority because we don't want to be ridiculed, ostracized because some of us are saying that this is a good man while others of us are saying that he's a deceiver. What Jesus says, it is in obedience in what I say, and that will prove if what I say is really of God. So what am I saying? Take Jesus at his word. Learn his teachings and test him. Do what he says and see if he's really from God. Because if you do what he says, I know that God will justify himself and he will prove to you that what Jesus is saying is true. But it's not part and parcel. You can't take the parts that you want and leave the parts that's hard behind. You got to take all of it. And then you will know that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Because you're doing what God said. And then when you do that, you won't fear man. Because you'll know that God is leading you in faith. And that God's going to justify you for putting your trust and your hope in his word. Do you get it? If you fear man, learn scripture, live it. Do what Jesus says and see what happens to that fear. Next passage. John number nine. Now we saw what it looked like. To live in fear of the Jews in this passage with the man born blind and his, his parents confronting the Pharisees, the Jews. But what does it look like to have faith in that situation? Well, we have an example. The man born blind. He had faith. He was not scared to testify to the fact that Jesus Christ really did heal him. He might not have known who Jesus was at that exact moment, but he knew that only a person of God could do what he did for him. Let's pick it up at nine, verse number 24. And it reads, 
A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. You see that? The man testified to the good that God had done in his life. He didn't let those who thought themselves to be the religious authorities to get him to deny that Jesus had really done something good for him. And when he was confronted with the truth that it was Jesus who did it, what did he do? I believe and I worship. You learn to worship God properly for what God has done for you. Wherever man kicks you out of, God will have a place for you. You see that? They kicked him out of the synagogue. Jesus came and found him. If you do what God wants, no matter what happens to you, Jesus will find you and accept you into his home. And when you get there, what do you do? You believe and you worship. Because that's what he's calling us to do. Honor him. Know what he says. Test him and do everything that he says and find out if Jesus is really from God and he'll prove himself to you. You won't be scared of man. Acknowledge the truth that God has really done something good in your life and worship him. You'll overcome your fear of man. But if you can't do those things, it's probably because you're scared of what you perceive a man can do to you that he really has no power of. He can't keep you out of heaven. Only you can do that. But if you give some power to somebody the power to do it, you will never get there. Fear God, not man. John 12. Just do the opposite of what they did. They believe, but they had glory. They rather seek the glory of man than God. Believe and seek the glory of God over man. It's that simple. Do what you need to do so that you can get glory from God, regardless of if a man gives you glory or not. You know why? Because man don't see everything we do. We will run ourselves raggedy trying to do things for the approval of man. Because we might catch them on a bad day. You might catch somebody and they're mad at somebody and you do everything in the world so that they can praise you and they don't do it because their mind is somewhere else. 
But God says, when you pray, go to your closet and pray to me in secret, and I'll bless you publicly. When you give alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, and I'll bless you. You see, what God is saying is, you don't need to let everybody know what you're doing. If I see it, I'll take care of it. I will bring glory to those who do deeds for me for the right reason. Don't worry about man. Do right by him, but don't worry about them giving you approval because they have no heaven or hell in which they can put you in or keep you out of. John 19. John 19 is a slightly different case because in it, while they feared man, they actually did something good for God. They actually did something to honor Jesus Christ. And what I will say is, don't wait too late to do honorable deeds for the Lord. Listen to what uh, happens in John 19, and we'll start at verse number 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. Some Bibles say 100. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Let me put a side in there. Those spices and aloe that he brought, that was enough for a king's burial. You see, they really wanted to honor Jesus because they acknowledged that something special was with this man, that he really was who he said he was. And while we didn't honor him at appropriate times at his death, I want to make sure that I honor him appropriately. So I'm going to bring what a king's burial is worthy of because I acknowledge that he's a king. And while it might have been too late, from a certain point of view, They still did it. So what am I saying? While it might take us a little bit longer to get to the point to where we honor God, to where we do something to honor Christ because we believe him, do it. Because the earliest time that you can is right now. We can't do nothing with the past except for change it for better. You see, they believed in Jesus and they said nothing all the while, while he was alive, that stopped the crucifixion. They really couldn't stop it because it was God's plan. But they could have put forth more effort. They could have said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and I'm going to renounce my role in these pharisaical sects, and I'm not going to live according to the standards of man anymore because I'm going to become a full-fledged disciple of Christ and submit my will to his because I know that he's the Christ. But they didn't. But what they did do is when he died, they came and got him and they honored him as a king. Joseph gives him his own tomb to bury him in, a tomb that had never been used because they acknowledged that Jesus was worthy of the glory and honor. When we acknowledge that Jesus is worthy of glory and honor, that's when we should start glorifying and honoring him. We can't do nothing with the past. But once we recognize truth, let's live according to that truth. And if we believe in Jesus, let's bear fruit evident of 
that. And the last passage, John 20. We already acknowledge that the disciples are in this room, secluded, locked up because they fear the Jews. But I think that there's a lesson in that. Because when Jesus comes, does Jesus condemn them? We do sometimes. We want to ridicule them because they walked with Jesus. They saw the miracles. How is it that you didn't understand? And why are you afraid of these that killed Jesus when you should have known that he had power over life? Well, they're people. And dare I say, we're more like them than we like to admit. Because how many of us are going around testifying Christ every day? How many of us are willing to lose our positions in this world so that we can gain a heavenly home? It's just a question that we all have to ask ourselves. What is our belief in Jesus Christ causing us to do? But listen to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he comes and he appears to his disciples. And I'm going to pick up at uh, verse number 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see what Jesus does? He offers them grace. He restores them after he shows them. You know what, guys? I get it. You're scared. You saw me die. But look it. It didn't stop me. I'm back alive. And this life that I have, I'm going to give to you if you do what I want. I know that you reached the low point in your life and you saw me die and you were scared of the very same people that killed me, but they have no power over me and they have none over you. So go out in peace. And he turned their fear into joy. And then he sent them out with a commission. You, because you believe, because you saw that I really do have power over life, you go and you tell this story. You direct people to me so that they can have access to the same reward that I'm going to give you. And don't fear man. And I'm not going to leave you alone. We read in Acts, when we get baptized, this Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed on his apostles, we get the same Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit leads us in paths of righteousness and it guides us into the steps that God would have us to follow when we submit our wills to his. All we have to do is trust God. Don't fear man. Fear God. And this promise of eternal life that we're all seeking, we will receive. Each and every person's presence here testifies to the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God on some level. The real question is, do your actions do that when you're not in this building? Do people outside of this building, outside of this gathering, outside of this community know that you are a believer in Christ? Or are there times that you're quiet because the authorities are around that don't want nobody to talk about religion? Well, if that's the case, live out your religion through your actions. Have people testify to the fact that there's something different about you because of the way that you walk. What that'll do, that will create opportunities for you to speak about Christ. 
And you don't have to force your opinion on nobody because they'll come asking about it. You'll be like a man who was born blind. When they asked, how did you receive your sight? It was a man of God who gave me my sight. And when you recognize that it was God, worship. Continue continue doing what you're doing now. Take times to worship Christ for what he has done for you. Seek glory of God and not of man. And start as soon as you can. Because one day we're going to die. And where everybody is guaranteed to be resurrected, but not everybody's guaranteed to go to heaven. It's going to be a, resurre- a resurrection of judgment. And you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. There's no two ways about it. And what determines where you go is what you did with your belief in Jesus Christ. You might find yourself like the disciples. At some point, you're scared because you fear the world and what they can do to you. But Jesus is saying, peace be with you. I understand where you are, but I still got somewhere for you to go. I need you to go there in faith. I need you to put trust in me because you know that the world cannot do anything that I can't undo. They killed me and I'm here still. They will kill you, but you will still rise and be with Christ eternally. Do not fear what man can do to you in any context, because God can undo it. And being that you're Christian, he does have an eternal hope for you. But if you're not baptized, that hope is nothing more than good words until you act on it. The water is ready. Scripture tells us, that you must repent and be baptized and be added to the body to receive the promise that Jesus came to extend freely to the world. That's the first step in overcoming your fear of man, accepting the free invitation of salvation of Jesus Christ. Second step, obey his commands. You do that, you'll be all right. My hope, my prayer, is that each and every one of us overcome every aspect of fear that we have in regards to this world and supplant it with faith and fear of God so that we can always be found doing what God would have us to do. If we do that, we will meet each other in heaven and we might share some of the stories of how we overcome. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. 
The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.